Well, good morning, everyone. I uh, want to welcome you all. For those joining us online, a special welcome to you from wherever you happen to be joining us from in the world today. Glad you could be with us. And I uh, just want to give my own words to uh, Pastor Alan and Karen. Never had the opportunity, the privilege to work alongside of you. But in so many ways, uh, who this church is and how we worship deeply influenced by you and your family. So my gratitude to you as well for your many years of service. and look forward to celebrating with you in the days to come. Uh, we stepped into a series uh, last weekend called Ignite. And over the next number of weekends, we're going to be spending our time in the book of Acts and really looking not just at the move of the story of Jesus after his ascension uh, into the church, but really a study of the work of the Holy Spirit in the church and in people's lives, lives like yours and mine. I want to let you know there's an opportunity to dive a little bit deeper, actually quite a bit deeper than we can do on uh, weekend services. On September 24th at 3 p.m., our own Duncan Reed is going to be teaching a seminar in Luke and Acts right here at the church, September 24th, 3 p.m. All you really need to do is bring something to write with, maybe a bit of caffeine to get it, you know, energize us through that, and a three-hour seminar in the story, the art, what God's saying through the, uh, through the two books of Luke and Acts. And I encourage you to come out for that. It's our chance to go deeper into what God's Word is saying to us about the story of Jesus and His movement through the Spirit in the church. I encourage you to be part of that. September 24th, 3 p.m. You don't have to sign up. There's no cost. Just come and we're all going to learn together. The question I'm asking today is how clear are we really on the person and work of the Holy Spirit? I mean, my guess is a lot of people in this room, including some of us that are joining us online, and even if we've been in the church a long time, we may not be that sure about the Holy Spirit. We may have heard stories, accounts, something scare us, something interest us, but we're kind of fuzzy about the work and person of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people, including folks who've been in, you know, Christians for a long time, we may have a clear picture, a good sense of God the Father. His power and His grace are quite clear to us. His creativity is quite clear to us. We may even have a high clarity on God the Son. We understand Jesus. We get Him to some degree. We hear what He says and look at His teaching and His ministry to us. So many of us have a well-developed picture of Jesus. But as I've been around, I find that many of us, when we think of the Holy Spirit, we get vague and fuzzy about exactly who the Spirit is and what He does. I want to tell you who's not unclear about the Holy Spirit, and that is Jesus Himself. In John chapter 16, John 16 is part of this rather lengthy teaching in the Gospel of John. And Jesus is telling his disciples in John 16 that he's going to be leaving them. He's pointing towards his ascension, which we talked about last weekend. If you want to go back and listen to that message at the start of this series, I encourage you to do that online. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm not going to be with you forever in this way, with me physically being with you. He's saying, I'm no longer going to be physically present with you. And he observes, Jesus does, when he gives the disciples this news that they're filled with grief. The disciples get sad. In verse 6, Jesus says to them, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. And I want you to focus in on verse 7. This is, these are the words of Jesus. And I think one of the most staggering statements he ever makes. He says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, another name for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now put yourself in the disciples' place for just a moment. Your whole life, 
You knew that you were probably going to live and die as a fisherman or a tax collector or something else. Perhaps no particular passion or mission in life. And then one day, your life is completely interrupted by this teacher from Nazareth. And nothing is ever the same. For three years, you have been utterly captivated by this man. I mean, the words he says, the things he does. These are all so extraordinary that you've abandoned your whole way of life to follow him. You've arranged your whole life around one thing. I've got to be with Jesus. That's the whole purpose of your life. I've got to see what he was going to do next. I have to hear what he's going to say next. And now he's leaving. He's giving us this news that he won't be with us like this. And you know you're going to lose. You think you're going to lose everything you've built your life around. But he doesn't just say that. Then he says, oh, and this is really good for you. This is really good that I leave you like this. Can you imagine the disciples' response as they think about never hearing that voice again speak about the Father's love, to never see those hands again perform another miracle, or reach out in love to a child or someone on the margins? You're going to leave, Jesus, and now you're saying, this is good for us? Not a chance. I mean, good thing for you, Jesus, maybe, to return to heaven, you get to be with the Father, but good thing for us? No way. This actually sounds like a joke, like a cruel joke. Except you know Jesus well enough to know that he's not the kind of person to say something like this glibly. I mean, ordinary people are. You know, this is good for you when it's really not, perhaps. Parents, we say this to our kids sometimes, right? Right before we punish them. You know, this is for your own good. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And kids never believe this because really it's not true, right? It doesn't hurt the parents more. Getting punished hurts way more. Parents are trying to soften it a little bit and keep their kids from getting mad at them. But Jesus does not say this. So it's good for you not to keep his disciples from getting mad or angry or sad. He's quite serious about this statement for one reason. Jesus is saying, that it really is better to live in the era of the Spirit than in the days when Jesus lived in the flesh. you believe that? That it really is better to live in the era of the Spirit than in the days when Jesus lived in the flesh. I want you to think about that for a moment. On the Bible's authority, the words of Jesus, you, right here in your life, right here and now, in this room and online, you have the advantage over people who looked Jesus in the face and heard his voice audibly. It's better for you. And why is that? Why would Jesus make such an audacious claim? How could he say that? Why is that? Why is it better for us? Well, let's go to the scriptures. We're going into Acts chapter 1. And as you're going to find in this series, we'll be coming back to certain texts again and again. And this is one of them. Right at the beginning of Acts 1 verse 4. The scriptures are going to be coming up on the screen. It says, on one occasion, while Jesus was sitting with his disciples, he gave them this command. Talked about this last week. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 7, Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. But hear this. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. 
you will receive power. Now, if you're like my mother and you like to underline things in your Bible and circle things in your Bible, I'd advise you to circle or underline that word power in Acts 1 verse 7. Because with the coming of the Holy Spirit, if there is one word that had to be associated with his ministry among the human race and you and me, it's that one word. When the Holy Spirit comes, you receive power. You know, Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, he doesn't say to us, when the Holy Spirit comes, you know, you will receive further instructions or you will receive further doctrinal information or you'll receive a do-it-yourself church starter kit. He doesn't say any of that. He says to them, you think these last three years with me have been something, have been transformative, and they have. But I want to tell you, you haven't seen anything yet. You fasten your seatbelts because you're in for the ride of your lives. The Holy Spirit's coming. And when that happens, you will receive power. You, an ordinary human being, are going to walk in the power of heaven and be part of things and see things and do things that you could never imagine in and of yourself. I want to tell you something. That's exactly what happened. Again, put ourselves in the, in the disciples' place for a few moments. Because after Jesus said these things, he says, you will receive power. They didn't know what that was going to look like at all. When Jesus says these things, he ascends into heaven. And I just wonder if the disciples said to themselves, I mean, what's going to happen? He says the Holy Spirit's going to come. We're going to receive power. But like, what's going to take place? What does Jesus mean when he talks about the Holy Spirit coming with power? What does Jesus have in mind? Imagine them sitting around saying, so are we going to know like, when the Holy Spirit comes on us? I mean, what if we miss out? What if we're together and it happens and we don't even know it? What if we're not paying attention? If you're familiar with the scriptures, you'll know the disciples had nothing to worry about, about missing the coming of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have to worry about that. Because sometime later, they were all gathered together in one place. Acts 2, 2 to 4. Picture this taking place. Suddenly, and that's usually how the Holy Spirit works. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. So here's the disciples. They're sitting at someone's house talking and praying like they did yesterday and the day before that. And every day since Jesus ascended, and now all of a sudden, suddenly, same room, same group of people, out of nowhere, this tornado comes along. Only instead of it being an outside tornado like they normally are, this is an inside-the-house tornado. And while this is going on, spontaneous fire descends in their midst and separates itself into little personalized tongues of fire on each person. The fire lands on each one of them. Fire, but instead of burning them, they begin to speak. And by now, because of all that's going on in Jerusalem, it was the Feast of Pentecost. Jewish people from all over the world were in Jerusalem, gathered there for this celebration, this feast. So there's this diverse crowd gathered around. They begin to hear the languages of their homeland being spoken. And all these people that are gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, they begin to be amazed to discover that it's as if these disciples of Jesus have been given a crash course in foreign dialects. Because they're enabled to speak in languages that other people can understand no matter where they're from. And the disciples speak in the languages of Egypt, because there's people from Egypt there. 
They speak in Greek because the residents of Greece are there and lots of other places. And I just imagine again, all the disciples look at each other with what's going on. An indoor tornado, fire turning into flames of fire on their heads, people talking languages they've never heard or studied before. I think they look at each other with all this going on and probably say, so I think this is the coming of the Holy Spirit then? Like this is what it would be like? I don't think we missed it. Because Jesus said, you will receive power. And the group of followers that had at one point in their life been hiding in fear behind locked doors discovered that that's exactly what they got. They received power. I mean, power to speak the truth. Peter, one of the disciples that day, spoke under the inspiration of the Spirit. This Peter, this follower of Jesus, who in large crowds and in pressure situations had shown himself to be timid, and yet when he was finished speaking to a crowd about the goodness of Jesus and the power of Jesus under the inspiration of the Spirit, the text says, when the people heard what Peter had preached about, they were cut to the heart and said, what do we need to do to be saved? And then he told them, and the church grew from a gathering of about 120 people to 3,000 in one day. That was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the power to create community. Because all of a sudden on this earth, people who had always been hostile to one another discovered that the hostility had been destroyed and they were called to be one. Jew and Gentiles, slaves and free, rich and poor, male and female. It was unheard of and unthinkable at the time that that would be a community of oneness and yet it was. The book of Acts says that nobody even claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything they had. And then the statement is made in Acts. You think about this. It says there was no needy persons among them. You think about that in the first century. In a world of starvation and hardship and suffering and poverty, what it would mean to have a community where there was this oneness between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, and not a single needy person in the midst. I mean, what in the world can do that? Only one force, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in His church. There was the power to heal. So many extraordinary statements we'll get to in the weeks to come in the book of Acts. As crippled people walked, diseases were healed, evil spirits were cast out. That was the Holy Spirit at work through followers of Jesus, people like you and me. There was the power to see lives changed. You know, very shortly after Pentecost, after this feast and the coming of the Spirit, Peter was arrested because of his witness for Christ. And Peter, this same Peter, who under pressure had denied Jesus three times in his fear before Pentecost when Jesus needed him the most, this same Peter now defies authorities and says, you can do with me what you want because I will obey God above men. I mean, there was the power to be bold. That, that idea of boldness. It's one of the themes of the book of Acts, and to not be afraid. On one occasion, later on in Acts, two disciples, Peter and John, had been arrested for speaking about Jesus, and this tended to happen. The religious authorities who had put Jesus to death wanted the whole thing about Jesus to go away at the crucifixion, and yet it didn't. I mean, it seems to be picking up steam. They thought it was over, these religious leaders, when they put Jesus on the cross. But now his followers are talking about a resurrected Savior and Lord of the universe. And they just keep preaching about him. And so Peter and John are arrested and people pray. And Peter and John get released from prison. 
And when they get together after all the trouble and suffering, they just pray again. Except they didn't pray for protection. And they didn't ask God to keep them safe. They prayed for greater boldness, which they knew would mean getting into more trouble. And the text says that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. The place was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly, fearlessly. That's the Holy Spirit. It's no wonder why in Acts 2.43 it says everyone was filled with awe. There were a lot of things they didn't understand. And there's a lot of things the early church messed up even after the Spirit came. You know, in some ways, giving them the Holy Spirit was like giving the keys of a Porsche to a seven-year-old and telling them, go take a ride. But that's kind of what happened. One thing they did know, one thing there was no arguing, is when Jesus said, you will receive power, they did. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, everything changed. And nothing would ever be the same again, not ever. Jesus said, you'll receive power. And he was right. And now for 2,000 years, the church has been wrestling and struggling. Its greatest minds have written and pondered over what does this gift of the Spirit mean. And now it's our turn. In our day, in our time. You and me, those who are part of Rexdale Alliance Church and our online community, now it's our turn. The scriptures say that now the Holy Spirit is a gift to you and me. That's why we're devoting ourselves over the next few weeks to understand and yield ourselves fully to the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what's that going to mean? What's that going to look like? Does it mean the church here right now is going to look exactly the same as it did in the first century in the Middle East? I don't necessarily think so. Could. But I think the Holy Spirit is quite free to manifest his presence in ministry and and in person in every century, in every situation, as he sovereignly sees fit. Amen? He can do as he pleases, and he will do it just right, right here. We don't have to fear that. But I want to share with you, as we kind of launch into the study of the Spirit through the book of Acts, I have three goals that I want to share with you this morning that I'm committing myself to, and I want to ask you to join me in this. And all of us move towards this as we devote ourselves to the study of Acts this fall. So if you have something to write with or get out a device, we're going to keep coming back to these three goals over the next number of weeks. And my prayer is that as we devote ourselves to these things, there's going to be some tough stuff coming. There's going to be some great stuff coming. But in all of it, my prayer is that as we have these goals before us, that we will be transformed and that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. So the first goal is this, that I will embrace the mystery of the Holy Spirit. You know, there are things in life uh, that you can predict and control and put in 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 a box, right? Like, the Leafs not making the playoffs. You can just predict it and you know it and it's just absolutely certain. You can kind of confine it and be sure of that. I just lost like three quarters of the room right there. Well, the Holy Spirit is not predictable in that way. Jesus says this in John 3 verse 8. He's talking to a religious leader and he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, this is how the Spirit works. 
There's a mystery to the spirit, kind of like the wind. The wind is powerful. It's real. You can't really predict it. You can't control it. I want to tell you something. The longer I'm a Christian, the longer I'm involved in ministry, the more I realize the unpredictable yet beautiful nature of the ministry and mystery of the Holy Spirit. There's just mystery here. I mean, why is it that sometimes good people offer earnest prayers for wonderful outcomes to no avail, and yet other people make wacky requests that seem to get answered? Why is it that if I have the Spirit of God in me, that sometimes I do, I truly desire God, but then there's other times and seasons where the truth is, I hardly think about Him at all? Why is it that sometimes He overwhelms me when I least expect it or deserve it? Like I haven't come out of a season of long fasting and scripture memory and all these sorts of things. I'm just kind of going along in life, and for some reason, out of goodness and mercy, the Spirit of God comes on me with power. What is that about? And I'm just immersed in His presence and love, not because I've done anything in particular. Thinking this week, why is it that sometimes I sweat bullets over how to be a good dad, And pray earnestly and can't seem to find the right thing to do with my own children. And then other times, times when I've had a bad attitude or haven't even prayed for my kids the way I want to, God visits us and moves in in a moment and something happens or a word is given to me and it's just a gift of grace. And I want to tell you, friends, there is a mystery. There is a sovereign mysterious power attached to the working of the Holy Spirit. And we have to understand this at the outset. I mean, there are some churches, some Christians that act as though they are the licensed franchisees of the Holy Spirit and in charge of all distribution. And there are people that act as if the Holy Spirit is like a genie in a bottle and they can summon him on command and force the work of the Spirit to occur. On the other extreme, on the other hand, there are other churches or Christians that live as if for all practical purposes, the ministry of the Holy Spirit wrapped up about 1900 years ago. And there are churches and lives where the winds of the Spirit have not blown in a really, really long time, if ever. And there are churches where people get very nervous about even talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's an author, many of you know him, author Philip Yancey says in one of his books, he says this, he says, I attended a Christian college at a time when a sister school, and he mentions a well-known Bible school, had publicly posted instructions at this Bible school, on what to do in cases of extreme emergencies. The emergencies that they defined there were this, fire, tornado, air raid, or charismatic activity. Those are the emergencies to be aware of and to ring the bells if anything happens out of control. So church, here's the thing. The truth is this. The Holy Spirit is not our genie in a bottle under our command. But the Holy Spirit is not a relic who retired 2,000 years ago to just watch the earth from some distant place. This I believe with all my heart, that the Holy Spirit is alive and and well and is as fully committed to the redemption of this earth today as he was 2,000 years ago. And he longs to move in his church. Do you believe that? Jesus says, okay, the wind is going to blow where it will, which leads to a second goal after we embrace the mystery. This is going to be hands-off for some of us in some way. We can be discerning. We can be wise. We've got to embrace the fact that if we're just sitting with their hands over the stop-it button, every time the Holy Spirit starts to move, we'll never experience the power of God like He wants us to. So let's be receptive to the ministry 
and the mystery of the spirit. Here's the second goal I want to suggest for all of us. And that one is this, that I align myself in the coming weeks with the Holy Spirit's work in my life. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, seeking, investigating, whatever else, this is our chance to see what living in Jesus would be like. And I'm going to ask over the next few weeks that you and I seek very diligently to align ourselves with what the Holy Spirit is asking of us, whether that's to follow Jesus for the first time or to take a new step of obedience. We're going to talk a lot more about this, but let me just say this right now as we begin. On the one hand, it's true. There is mystery to the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it will. But at the same time, the Bible has some very clear guidelines that we can fully understand and definitely live out. For example, the Bible says this. It says, don't grieve the Spirit. Now, it's quite clear. And we grieve the Spirit when we choose knowingly and willingly to sin. That is, to live in opposition to the way of God. You see, if we think that we can claim the Spirit's power, but are defying His commands then we're really mistaken. The Spirit is not that kind of person. He is grieved when human beings, people like you and me, choose to defy what is the good and right will of God. And I think there are going to be times in our lives, I just know there will, over this series, in this week, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, when you're going to find yourself either tempted to defy God or are defying God, and you're going to hear this little voice, a little twinge inside of you that's going to seek to convict you Now, please hear this. When the Spirit comes, He doesn't bring a voice of condemnation. He doesn't condemn, He convicts. Now, conviction is an act of love. It's like the warning signs that say, don't take a step in that direction any further. This is destructive for you. Where you're headed relationally, vocationally, wherever you're headed within that conversation, within that activity or that thought life stuff, when the Spirit brings conviction, it's like the stop. It's like, don't go any further. And that's an act of love and grace towards you. If you hear condemnation, like hateful, you're horrible, you're awful, that's not the spirit. So you can disregard that as the stuff of the enemy. When you hear words of pause, listen, stop, consider, be wise, that's the spirit, that's conviction. And when we hear conviction, I'm asking us, let's practice this, that we listen and we stop And even need to repent. That means to turn from the direction we're headed towards a more godly direction. And that we would just determine now as best as we can with God's help that we're not going to grieve the Spirit. Bible writers also say don't quench the Spirit. To quench is to throw water on a flame to extinguish a fire. Our whole series is about ignite. It's about the fire and power of the Spirit being at work in us. We can quench the spirit when we choose to sin or we're divisive with one another. So let's not be throwing wet blankets and buckets of water on what God is seeking to ignite here in us. And part of what the spirit will do in our lives is to prompt and to lead and to guide. And when that happens, we just respond the right way. Sometimes you'll immediately understand the reason for the prompting. On the other hand, sometimes you may not understand why a prompting has come from the spirit. But what if we committed every one of us that as the Spirit prompts and speaks, we're going to respond right away. I honestly think this is one of the biggest areas of growth in my own discipleship these days, is to simply cut the lag time between when the Spirit speaks and when I act. Because, man, I am really good at justifying distance between when the call to obey comes and the true act of obedience. And what if for our church we said in this season, we're going to cut the lag time between when the Spirit prompts and when we act. 
And so that as the Spirit is prompting, we're acting and responding and seeing what happens. What have we all committed with, to this goal that we will relentlessly say yes to the Spirit's promptings? We'll not quench or grieve the Spirit. We instead will walk in the Spirit, keep in step with Him. In the Bible, walking is a picture of fellowship. Walking is the picture of relationship. And the idea here is to engage in activities that keep us connected in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Here's some of the things you can do. I encourage you over the next number of weeks to study the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's a few books I would suggest. Some of you know a man named Pastor Sundar Krishnan. He wrote a book called Catching the Wind of the Spirit. I invite you to read it. If you've read it before, read it again. I encourage you, consider some of these titles. One called The Mystery of the Holy Spirit by A.W. Tozer. There's another called Forgotten God by Francis Chan or Holy Fire by R.T. Kendall. You can email me if you want those titles. I'll give them to you another time. But to study the work of the Spirit. We stay in fellowship with the Spirit when we choose to pray in community. We've got a mini solemn assembly happening tonight, Monday, and Tuesday. You know, if the Spirit is like the wind and He'll blow where He will, what if we just chose to stand in the breezy places where He tends to where the wind tends to blow? And that's in the prayer of community. I encourage you to come out. Over these next number of weeks, what if there's this commitment to say, I'm going to keep gathering for worship? I'm not going to forsake the fellowship of believers because when we gather for worship, it's a breezy place and I want to be in fellowship with the Spirit. What about just meditating on Scripture? Maybe you've never been in the habit of opening God's Word on a daily basis and seeing what it is that God's saying to you. This would be the season to try it out. Why don't we start? We can take the book of Acts and I would simply encourage you to do this. At least once a day, start to read, but begin with this prayer. Holy Spirit of God, Would you inspire this word? Inspire me as I read this word. Show me what you want me to pay attention to. And then simply start to read. If there's a place to pause, a word to consider, just be there, meditate on that, ask God questions about it. It's those kind of things that keep us connected in fellowship to the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit so we don't grieve Him, we aren't quenching Him. That will align our life and work in the way of the Spirit. And then last... Here's our last goal over this next number of weeks, that we earnestly pray for the Holy Spirit to manifest His power in our lives and in our church. Anybody other than me me needing some of God's power today? Well, Jesus says you'll receive power when the Spirit comes, and that's what Jesus is saying. Ephesians 3 says, I pray that out of His glorious riches, God may strengthen you with, what does it say? Power through His Spirit in your inner being. That's God's desire. We'd be strengthened in our inner being, in the absolute vital core of who we are through the power of the Spirit. I want to ask you, church, do you believe the Spirit has lost His power? Has that happened? Has He? Is He any less able to transform lives and community today than He was in the time of Acts? Well, what if we committed ourselves in the days to come to simply ask God to pour out the power of His Spirit in our lives in His church today? I mean, what if the power of the Holy Spirit started to be poured out all over this place? Like it never has before. And we see the power of the Holy Spirit at work, the power to heal marriages, the power to knit the hearts of parents and children together, even where there's been division, the power to liberate people from the destructiveness of sin, people who think they're trapped, people who think they're over-addicted and not able to be free, people whose lives are getting thrown away, and yet through the power of the Holy Spirit in the days to come, we start to see people set free. 
I mean, what if the Holy Spirit's power just got poured out over us and then that filling resulted in so much generosity and so much love and so much sweet-spiritedness that once again it might be said of a, of a human community as it was 2,000 years ago that they were one in heart and one in spirit and there was no needy person among them. What if that's said of Rexdale Alliance Church? What if the Holy Spirit got released in your life and in my life and in this place like never before simply because we paused and waited and asked? I mean, what if we really became his students and really sought to align ourselves with the work of the Spirit? And we started to say, Spirit of God, let that wind blow freely in my life and in your church and determine that the best we can, with God's help, not to grieve or quench the Spirit, but to walk in step with the Spirit. What do you think would happen if we did that? Honestly, friends, I have no idea. I can't predict perfectly what may happen, but I know this much, that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us because Jesus said it, and he always keeps his promises to his church. Are we in need of some power today, church? I want to share with you a prayer. Joel, why don't you come on up? I want to share with you a prayer that I'm inviting anybody who wants to, you don't have to, to pray with me over these next number of weeks. This has been a deeply influential prayer in my life. And I want to pray it for you. The words are going to be coming up on the screen. And as you leave today, the ushers have copies of this prayer if you want to take it and simply pray in unity about what what these words indicate about the heart. We can feel it sometimes that we're stepping into the unknown when we begin to listen and respond to the ministry and mystery of the Holy Spirit. But the truth is this. What may seem unknown to us is fully known to God. He is not surprised when the Spirit of God comes with power upon a church. It's exactly how He wants it. So I want to tell you, as we pray bold and courageous things like we're about to pray, that I'm about to pray for you and with you, and if you join me in it, fear doesn't have to be part of this. God's not out to get us. He's not out to crush us. God is seeking to enliven us, to ignite in us a power to live a life of holiness and goodness like we never could on our own. And so I pray this with you. Fearlessly. Here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, I know that I've been born of the Spirit. I'm sealed by the Spirit and and am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That is why asking you for a fresh work of the Spirit in my life is an easy thing to do. You are quintessential generosity, the most big-hearted and open-handed Father imaginable. You won't give us snakes and scorpions when we ask, but grace and more grace and still more grace. And so, Father, not, not doubting your promise one bit, and without shame or hesitation, acknowledging my need, I ask, we ask, for a fresh stirring and filling of your Holy Spirit. I know that apart from your Spirit, I can't believe the gospel and love Jesus the way I want to. So, Father, by the power that raised him from the dead, free me from my underbelieving and overcompensating. Open the eyes of my heart to see more of Jesus. Dazzle me with his delights. Buckle my knees with his beauty. Put me face down on the ground from a renewed awareness of his glory and grace. Grant me jaw-dropping wonder and awe in response to Jesus' majesty, mercy, and the perfection and completion of his work for us. Grant me power with all your children to know the height, depth, 
width and breadth of Jesus' love. A love that surpasses knowledge. The only love that is better than life. The only love that is enough. You've poured out this love into my heart before. Do it again and again and again. May the love of Jesus be the most compelling and propelling force in my life. Turning my whining into worship. My timidity into fearless faith. Small dreams into a kingdom vision. And my hesitation to risk much into a life of gospel adventures. By the grave-robbing, kingdom-advancing, Christ-exalting power of the Holy Spirit, restore to me the joy of your incomparable salvation. Renew my love for the beauty and freedom of holiness and intensify my awareness and excitement about the occupied throne of heaven. Indeed, Father, you are working in all things for your glory and for our good. And you are working all things together after the counsel of your will. And you are summing up all things in Christ. What a salvation he has won for us. And so fill us now with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' exalted and awesome name we pray. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? And just before I give the benediction, I just want us to consider for a moment the three things that have been set before us. Are you willing to pray with me over these coming days? To simply say, God, it's, we, want, we desire you. We want you. We're tired of shallow living. God, ignite us. Would you pray that with me? We commit ourselves to keeping in step with the Spirit. And consider what it is to embrace the mystery of the Spirit. And we have nothing to fear when the Holy Spirit comes on us with power. Let's just pray. Father, we come before you. We have this prayer before us. We have these goals before us, our desires and intentions before us. And I pray that in this season, God, rally your church to life. God, ignite us again. For those who have never been ignited before, God, would this be the season of the coming of the Spirit upon them in power for the very first time. And for those of us, God, who may have grown cold, or the fire embers of the Spirit have grown dim, we haven't... We haven't fanned into flame the very gifts you've given us. God, would this be the season through obedience and worship and passion that the wind of your spirit would blow upon the fire in our hearts and ignite us again. God, we can't just keep going the way we're going based on willpower and the decision of the flesh. And so we choose the way of the spirit today. God, ignite us again. We need you. We're desperate for you. In the coming days, By your sovereign choice, we wait before you, but fill us with the Holy Spirit of God, I pray. Even as we go from this place, in Jesus' name, amen.